as we make our way into May, unintentional rhyme, it's getting close to summertime. That one was intentional. Now, I tell you this because I want you to remember that there are two ways to warm up to the water which may not necessarily be as warm as you like. The first way is either on the steps if you're in the pool or at the beach or at a river or at a lake, whatever it is, you walk back and forth slowly getting deeper the entire time until you're warmed up and then that's fine. The other way is to just jump in fully, which is what we're about to do in our text today because we are going to go through the entire chapter 21 of John. So Bible's out or bulletins in front of you and we're going to start with that first verse. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee it happened this way. Do I have any Marvel fans out there? This is a spoiler-free sermon. Do not be afraid. Now, you know what this is, don't you, Marvel fans? This is a post-credits scene. For those of you who do not know what this means, the movie is over. John has finished the gospel. He said that last beautiful line, right? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you will have life in his name. Over. Except when the credits are rolling, another scene comes on in the movie. That is this scene here. This is a little something-something to get you excited to come back to buy another ticket to the movie, to continue the story, the adventure. It moves us forward. It gives us something to look for. It tells us what to expect. Verse 2, Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, meaning twin, not doubter, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. They went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Maybe we read that and think, okay, no big deal, just a couple of dudes wanting to fish. But there is a reason that these men go fishing. A reason they didn't do something else like going golfing because you know there's more steps when you golf unless you're using the cart. Going to Disneyland or whatever the equivalent was because clearly the text implies there would have been no lines on the rides that day. Definitely wouldn't have gotten mountain biking. Who does that? Nobody we know, am I right? <laughs> forgot that these are recorded. I love you, Pastor. <laughs> now, these men go fishing. These men go fishing because it's what they are used to. It's what they used to do. It's what they know. It's who they are. But for three years, they did something different. Something unlike anything else. For three years, they followed Jesus. They went where he went. They heard what he spoke of. They watched him do miracles and healings. Even they themselves started to do what he was doing. And they bought hook, line, and sinker into the promise that he gave them that he would make them something else, fishers of men. And after three years, it all changed like that. No more following and being with, no more watching and seeing, and they ask themselves, what's the plan now? What lies ahead? What are we supposed to do now? And they just go back to what they did before. I'm not too sure where you're at, 
But have you ever had everything change just like that? Found yourself going back and doing the same old things you used to do. Start something for a while, and then one day, you're just back doing what you were always doing before. Back to the old ways, your old life, the old routine, the old habits, the old you. Some people might even say, the real you. One night confessing sins and the next day doing them again. Asking ourselves, why do we do it? Why do we always find ourselves back where we were? The disciples didn't know what to do, so they did what they did before. And who could blame them? What else could they do? Verse 4 says, Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number. A note here, I love closing my eyes and just imagining Jesus on the shore. Second note, man, these dudes never really get painted as good fishermen, do they? I mean, do they ever even catch a fish in any of the texts? I couldn't find it. And I love that they are constantly being told by random people. Now, obviously, we know it's Jesus, but they didn't, right? What to do as fishermen. I don't know if you've ever tried this. I have. It was a typical summer Huntington Beach day, and I found myself in need of an Oreo shake, a cherry whipped cream, and some french fries to dip in said shake. I was about 12 years old, took my chance, and called out to one of the local fishermen who was fishing off the pier, and I said, friend, haven't you any fish? (laughs) I was bold. Now, as you know, there are only two responses the fisherman or woman will give you. Yes or no. And when they say no, if you are a Christian, you respond with, cast your net to the other side. It felt good. I know I was only 12, but I knew what was up. And what's more importantly, I was confident that the guy was going to catch some fish. But he did not cast his net. He said in a very gruff and a very scary voice, net, we're like a hundred feet up on the pier. What net? (laughs) And if I cast my line to the other side, I'm going to hit a kid or that lady. And everyone will be tripping and I'll get in trouble. Now get out of here before I use you as bait. (laughs) Needless to say. I did not have a shake that day. (laughs) But for the disciples, they cast their net and it's deja vu all over again. They cast and they catch fish. A lot of fish. Unable to catch it in a lot of fish. And we've seen this rerun before. Last time you'll remember that Peter falls on his knees, but this time... The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other three disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. 
used to get caught up on why Peter puts his clothes on and then jumps in. Thinking that's kind of weird, but I guess that's how you fish with no clothes on. So if you're going to run to Jesus, better put something on. But now I get caught up more on what it's going to look like when I do this myself. When you and I do this. When we get to heaven and we're taking everything in, looking around, and then when we see Jesus and we just sprint to him. And what a scene that must have been watching in the boat as they watch Peter swim and go. I bet you Peter stops about five yards before he meets Jesus. Sopping wet, just staring at him, standing there. Going back in Peter's mind of all the things he just had done, denying Jesus, not too sure where he stands with Jesus. And they just look at each other for a moment, staring at one another. And Jesus says, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon climbs back into the boat, drags the net ashore. It was a full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Remember last time the nets did tear. Jesus said to him, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, which this is our first time. The disciples are intelligent. They're getting things right. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time. Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We go back to our tasks. Maybe we go back to our old ways, but don't you ever, ever forget that Jesus does not let us stay there. Because he didn't go back to heaven and just stay there. He stands on the shore every morning. The shore of your life right there, every morning, every evening, every day, calling to you. There was 153 fish the disciples caught. But did you catch that he had already had the food cooked? He had cooked, and the risen Lord continues to serve them because the old you is gone. Only the new remains. The old ways, the old routines are gone because of the resurrection. And it is here that we are reminded that we participate with him in this resurrection life that he has prepared for us. We catch fish, he catches fish, and he prepares everything for us, is working with us. We are not alone. We are not called to be our own, but we are called to be His and to work alongside Him. His words guiding us in this resurrection hope and resurrection life, regardless of our worries or sin or how many times we slip back into old habits. It doesn't matter how unclear we are of what lies ahead, of where we think we may stand in a relationship with Jesus. It is always clear. He is calm. He is standing on the shore. He is bringing us back to Him. Making sure that no matter what life brings, His net doesn't break. And the real us is in Him. 
This isn't just some fun and interesting way to end a gospel. This is everything. This is the mission. This is the calling. This is the sending out, the understanding that this resurrection is just the beginning. Which is why the next part of the chapter is some of the most inspiring. When they had finished, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. I see some time passing here. People taking a few bites, maybe waiting for the conversation to pick up or Jesus to ask one of the other disciples a question. But again, Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. I think this is when Peter understands what's going on. I think after he says yes, he starts to bow his head. He doesn't want to make eye contact with any of the other guys. I bet they kind of get it too. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I think Peter is crying now. Being asked three times if he loves Jesus, there's not going to be a rooster cry or a dolphin scream, just a man being asked three times, do you love Jesus? And a man being told three times to love and care for others. You translate the Greek word love there and you get, do you love me? Do you really love me? Are you even my friend? Those questions cut to the heart. Jesus asked them to us, and it cuts to our heart. Do you love Jesus? Feed his sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is not a criticism. This is not a punishment. This is a full reinstating of Peter the Rock. Three denials, three affirmations. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and when Peter answered yes, Jesus told him to feed his sheep. It's one thing to say you love Jesus, but the response is the willingness to serve him, to love others, to feed and care for the sheep. Peter had repented, and here Jesus is asking him to commit his life, commit his life to resurrection and mission. Peter's life changed because of Jesus. Occupation changed from fisherman to evangelist, identity from impulsive person to a rock, and relationship from alone to forgiven and ready. Same for you and I.
Peter turns, sees the other disciple whom Jesus loved following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that the disciple wouldn't die, but Jesus just said that he wouldn't die. He'd only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Final lesson for us, not to compare our lives to others or to be competitive, but to follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. This is the disciple who testifies to these things, wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written, and there never will be. Because we continue the story. We live in His story. The works of Jesus Christ do not stop in John chapter 21, but they continue to this very day in you and in I. The time for saying we love Jesus and living out the love of Jesus is now. So rejoice when you hear stories of women sewing quilts for those who are hurting. Rejoice when you hear stories of coins and letters being collected and set out encouraging those who serve and defend us. Rejoice when you hear of visits happening to those who are sick. Rejoice when you hear of broken addicts finding hope and resurrection in Jesus. Rejoice for those who go before us and are now in the arms of Jesus. Rejoice when you hear of families being helped and assisted instead of sent into foster care. And rejoice when you hear little ones singing song of praise. And rejoice when all who are lost are found and brought to the faith and to the water. Rejoice and feed and care. Rejoice and feed. Each one of us is part of the body and can give and can serve in some manner, whether it is a little or a lot, whether you can bring 153 fish or you can bring five loaves and two fish. The risen Lord will take all that you bring And we'll do with it amazing things as we give glory to God together. Let us stand and confess our faith in this risen Lord using the words of the Easter Creed.